hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com drink. That's rosettastone.com drink. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Hi, Em. Hello, Christine. Uh, this, is an in- this is a new one for the books, I think. This is a first. We keep doing these firsts. We keep saying like, no, everything's normal. And like, we're not going to like change up the vibe. And then every episode, it's like someone has traveled to a different location. We're Geminis. We literally don't do the same thing every week. It's impossible for us. So Christina's back in Ohio. And I am also still in LA. But um, the wonderful people at Cast said that I could come in by myself. And I was like, that sounds way more fun than sitting in my bedroom. So I got a taste of that leather chair and was like, oh, baby, I can't go home now. I was like, I got to I got to take this one for the ride for as long as I can. So <laughs> I'm actually sitting next to the empty chair that used to be where you sat last Aww. week. I hope it's covered in your tears. It is actually I had to switch chairs because that one was all wet with my tears. So <laughs> um, but no, I so I'm still here. I wanted to look as you know, beautiful as possible, obviously. So I needed all nine obviously. light fixtures again. Um, Christine's home. That's the answer. <laughs> to where and Christine I'm here is. also. <laughs> um, I get to be on a, apparently a big screen that Em's looking at, which is super fun for me personally. There's many spots that Christine is in right now because we were trying to figure <laughs> out how I can look at the camera while also still interacting with Christine's face. 
Um, this is <laughs> arguably the one time I thought I wouldn't have to see her face, and now there's just multiples <laughs> of them. Um, so we've Dude, got nice try. Your little your face is down here on a little screen, and it's on a big ass screen over there. So I feel like I'm this watching is just like my big moment. It's like I'm FaceTiming you while you're on a TV show. I'm just like looking at you from How both fun. directions. So I made it. I made it to the big times, the big leagues. That's that's what they say around here at your cast studios. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what I say in my head all the time. Uh, I've made it. Um, I want to say quickly before we start too, that I have, uh, I asked Blaze to, I keep talking about this, but I asked Blaze to go get me some Sour Patch and he came home with like the family size. Um, that's a husband right there. Yeah, so I just like have these now on the desk where I record with you. So I think just for the next foreseeable future, this is like my my go to snack. Your go to snack. Speaking of, yeah. uh, you you triggered a memory for me with the with the sour patch watermelon because I remembered them scattered across our personal studio when you came and spent the night here or two nights here. Oh, <laughs> the the last time that we recorded the last episode you saw was the day after Christine surprised me. And then later that night, I think, was it later yeah, that night that we, we recorded? Yeah, we went to Cheesecake Factory. Oh, oh right. We, t- we should talk about the Cheesecake Factory. That was way fun. We wouldn't stop talking about it last time, so why should we stop now? It's like the momentum is going. We can't stop. We had a blast. We shared some Avo toast, very LA. Um, what else? I had, I had my some chi- cocktails. It was great. It was. And I had my, my chicken, and we both we got like three slices of cheesecake. It was a fun time. Um, and then we had a sleepover that night. So that's right. And Eva came. It was so fun. Like a big slumber party. It was the first time all three of us like used the the studio that we the apartment that we rent together as like a, a sleepover spot. So and it was just filled with candy and wine. So we got like 20 Taco Bell tacos. We watched Ghost Adventures. Um, and then we, I don't know, gossiped until we fell asleep in like four in the yeah. morning. It was so much fun. Em and I did that fun thing we do where we are in the same room late at night and we can't stop speaking. And so we were on an air mattress to like 4 a.m. <laughs> cackling, like cackling, cackling like crazy people. Like I was, I think at one point I sobbed. I was just like so overcome with like joy. We like cry laughing. Yeah, I was like, I've never laughed this hard in like the entire year. And before- we woke up the next morning like pretty much still laughing, which was very creepy. <laughs> like we were like, remember how funny that was? And then like continued laughing. I um, I actually, my phone, I guess at one point while we were laughing so hard, I'd like almost like kind of butt dialed into my camera. And so it, I actually filmed like 12 minutes of us laughing for no reason. That's nightmare fuel that you could accidentally record us. It, it luckily was all <laughs> laughter. But even the night before, Allison was like, so are you going to have a sleepover there? Or are you going to be coming home? And I was like, look, when you get me, Christy and Eva in a room alone, I can, after a, two tours with them, it's, I'm pretty certain I will be up until four in the morning. And we probably, we might not return. We'll see. Um, anyway. Yeah, it was crazy. And basically, M played the, the video the next morning and it was like, all I could hear through the like cackling sounds was like, cram it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> God, help me. Oh, my goodness. He thought I was the asshole. I was like, <laughs> literally don't know what the <laughs> human child looks like. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> I forgot he had teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, that's a baby. <laughs> 
reminder for people who don't know that story. Christine and I had a baby and our she firstborn. And she rejected our baby. And then I did she, not. She chose a different You did. But anyway, please, if you know who Kremit is, I'm sorry. And if you don't know, you're probably better <laughs> off. And if you're Kremit, I'm sorry your mother doesn't love you. The best is that we d- we introduced Kremit like the week we started putting these on YouTube. <laughs> and so that was like the worst power you could ever give me because I just started putting pictures of Kremit in the video. <laughs> no, she started putting pictures of <laughs> random babies. And then she was like, this is the one we... <laughs> she still doesn't know okay, what sorry, our child looks like. <laughs> that's what the video sounded like. By the way, if you want to make your own baby with someone you love, go to morphthing.com. This is not an ad. But by the way, they should sponsor us considering how often we talk about Kremit. Is it called Morph Thing? That's such a horrifying name. Literally called morphthing.com. And we made a baby. Oh my God. We made many babies that night. <laughs> In an, in a hotel in New York City, by the way, it was a we made a lot of babies. Um, I made one with uh, ZB. It was like me and Zach Bagan's face. It had a strong nose. It had a, it had a strong nose, and then on I put it on Patreon, and I feel like Patreon was like, "What? Why are you putting this here? This is not the bonus content we asked for." But I put it on Patreon. <laughs> Nobody asked for it. God didn't ask for that. It just happened. <laughs> So I put it on Patreon and it's just a video of M going like I'm making a video of me and Zach after many glasses of wine and not a video a, a morph baby. You kind of froze there for a second, but I'm going to think that was like, I think that's what the Lord wanted there. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. OK, I have one more line. I see that you're trying to kick me off this conversation, but I'm going to say <laughs> one more thing and I will fight through the static and I will fight against the word of God. And I'm going to tell you what? that I made this baby with zb and then m just said (laughs) what did you say i said uh yuck i mean congratulations yeah yuck i mean congratulations and that line has just stayed with me i'm like i'm afraid that if i ever do have a child i'm just gonna look at it and go yuck i mean congratulations and i won't be surprised i'll at least whisper it that time like was was (laughs) With Zach, though, I mean, that was the strongest nose and the strongest jaw I'd ever seen on a fucking newborn. It so had big eyebrows, too. It was a really intense baby. Um, okay, you can talk now. Anyway, oh, wow. For those of you still listening and for those of you who have just finished up figuring out what your baby looks like on MorphThing.com, um, welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. To another segment of And That's Why We Drank. By the way, Kremit was why I drank for a solid three weeks. Um, Kremit was why I couldn't drink because he was my bun in the oven. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> It's just terrible. Um, so anyway, how have how has Ohio been since you've been back real quick? Oh, it's been great. Thank you very much. I'm just eating a lot of candy and trying to stay indoors. Um, and I found Gio a new doggy daycare place, so he's been going oh. there. Is he socializing he well? Is it. he getting used to the house all right? Yeah. He loves the house. Junie loves the house. Also, there so there are painters here painting, and I just had like a miniature meltdown because I picked all these color, these nice shades of gray, and then everything turned blue, <laughs> which is apparently a thing that happens. But I like cried a little bit about it because I was like, "Well, I just paid several thousand dollars, and now everything's blue." Oh um, boy! <laughs> but it was yellow before, so it's better than nothing. Um, That's true. So Gia's at daycare, and they keep sending little report cards with like which friends he played with that day. It's the sweetest thing. What is what's like the best report card you've gotten so far? What's his like cutest update? It Blaze and I can like read between the lines because it'll say like 
today I was very sweet and quiet. And I'm like, okay, so he hid in the corner, like underneath the table. <laughs> like who are his favorite? Like today I played with the following friends and it's like, uh, Marissa. And I'm like, okay, Marissa is like the employee. So <laughs> Marissa's that, definitely like, a not human playing name. with dogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, he's having a good time, but he misses you, Em. Look, I know we text. I know. Um, <laughs> He, we have we have a code, an SOS code, in case it becomes too much and he ever needs me to, to take him away from you. Hasn't it, happened yet. It's going to happen. I don't doubt it. I see him typing the little bubble sometimes and then they disappear. So I think he's like on the verge. And like mom walks in the room and he's like, damn it. He's like, he hides his burner phone that I mailed him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so getting to spooky things. The um, story that I am covering uh, this week is something that was requested back during Christmas, and this has been on my list ever since then. And oh um, <clears throat> it's interesting because it's like, from what I've been able to read, it's known. I guess it's more of a lore than a haunted house, even though it's like explicitly a haunted house. But everyone knows that it's fake, but everyone still goes with the stories. It's oh. like I guess an urban legend. It's in Pittsburgh. It is called, it's got a couple names. It's called the Conjolier House. It's also called the Haunted House on Ridge Avenue. And it's called the House that the Devil Built. So it's got multiple names. And everyone in Pittsburgh is like, oh, yeah, that house is haunted. And then, like, they're like, it's really not. But we just all say it's haunted. It's very weird. It's a weird situation here. So it seems like this house has, um, five different chunks to it through for it's like the different legends that people hear or the different stories people tell about it there's five different plot point plot points i guess um but all of them have like heavily be been debunked and like everyone knows it and they're just like okay yeah but like we just tell people that's what happened so i think it's kind of more of a a rite of passage as a teenager that you like go up to the spooky house or something like that By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15 percent off their first order at burrow.com slash drink that's burrow b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash drink for 15 percent off burrow.com slash drink 
You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Daylight saving time is starting up again. It may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Listen, I'm of the belief that if you put energy into something, it will reflect that energy. So I don't know. Maybe it is haunted because everyone is 
acting like it's haunted. It probably is now like an accidental vortex of energy. Right? Like people are like creating some, I don't know. If enough people energy. interested in spirits who probably have spirits somewhat attached to them going yeah. to this place, someone's bound to hang out there a little longer than they should, I think. I'm, th- I'm saying. All right. So anyway, here is the Congelier House, Haunted House on Ridge Avenue and um, the house that the devil built. So it's known as the most haunted hoax in America. Um, (laughs) It's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it is it was first mentioned in the book Haunted Houses by Richard Weiner and Nancy Osborne. And so we jump right into the story here. This is basically kind of different than what I usually do because I'm just straight up debunking every storyline in this the whole time. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh. <clears throat> but it was, it's good. And we're, I'm sure people in Pittsburgh are going to like this story. So maybe I can rebunk it. Okay. Wait a minute. Everything I say is a lie. I should have done this on April Fool's Day and really messed with people. So, oh, too late. It's fun. June. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the first part of the story, or I guess where people usually start when they tell this urban legend, is that the house uh, started with a family called the Congeliers. Um, his name, the husband's name was Charles Wright Congelier. And he made a fortune in Texas, and then he ended up moving from Texas after the Civil War um, with his wife named Lida, L-Y-D-A, Lida. And I guess they had a servant named Essie. And so uh, they decided that they were going to leave Texas, and they took a, like, steamer boat down the river and ended up in Pittsburgh. And they were like, this will do. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) As you do, just take a never-ending boat ride. That's like our tour. With all of your stuff. Steamship. Uh, Wait a minute. Let's do a steamship tour (laughs) next time. Let's just do that. And just ride down the river and just talk about ghosts everywhere we go. Like really slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Like almost like it's not moving at all. Um, (laughs) So the boat docked in Pittsburgh and Charles Congelier and his wife were like, this looks like a good place. Let's just (laughs) unpack here. And uh, so they ended up building... This house, this was in the 1860s. They ended up building the Congelier House, which was at 1129 Ridge Avenue. And it was one of the finest houses in the area. It was known for social gatherings and elite parties. Um, And he became a pillar of the community. And he did not become a killer, but he became a a pillar at the very least. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, and again, that was, he built the house in the 60s. And it was called 1122 Ridge Avenue. Um, only a couple of years later, I guess Congelier and the servant, Essie, started having an affair. Um, <clears throat> or that's how the story goes, at least. And one day, Lida found out about it. She was calling for Essie, and Essie wasn't, um, I guess, responding to her calls, or she wasn't anywhere to be found. So Lida started looking for her and heard some very interesting, um, rambunctious sounds in oh, in their no. bedroom. And so she goes, she goes down to the kitchen in a passionate rage and grabs a butcher knife and a cleaver and she goes upstairs and she stabs her husband 30 times. Oh, so. Oh my God. So she's the killer. The pillar married the killer this time. That's a twist though. That's the one I've been looking for this whole time. So then apparent it's alleged that she also then probably killed Essie as well. And days later, uh, these are like socialites in the area and nobody had heard from them. So one of their friends went to go knock on the door and just check in on them. And this is where it gets very urban mythy where you kind of just 
whoever's telling the story um, gets really into it and is like knocked on the door and didn't hear anything but heard heard just one creak in a room and like you just kind of like get real you know finesse it yeah really <laughs> zhuzh it up and um, zhuzh it up <laughs> uh the story the basic plot points are that the friend knocks on the door doesn't hear anything goes in um hears this weird creaking and starts following it and asking if anyone's home and doesn't hear anyone saying anything but keeps hearing this creaking and eventually goes into one of the back rooms and sees Lida in a rocking chair and just rocking in the chair, not responding to him. And um, he basically says, like, are you okay? What's going on? And she's not even looking at him. She's just staring out the windows, rocking and holding what looks like a baby, like a little pink bundle. And because she's not responding, he's like waving his hand in front of her face and nothing. So she he puts his arms in and tries to grab the bundle out from her and realizes it's covered in blood. <gasps> Freaks out, drops it, and out rolls Essie's head. <gasps> and that's, like, one of the big, like, urban legends of, like, someone was beheaded there. Ooh, boy. So that's the first part of this. So let's let's break that down, a.k.a. totally debunk it. Dang it. I thought at least this part, I mean, not that I'm happy anyone was killed, but I was like, that is quite a tale. I should have known you were going to deep. Too tall it. of a tale for me. I'm going to shorten yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty damn tall. First of all, no one named Charles Wright Congelier ever existed. There's no records of him or his wife, at Lida. All? At all? There was a Charles Springer that lived a couple houses down at a different time. That's like the only, there's a Charles at some point. Why would they come up with that? If you're making up a story, make it like John Smith. Like, why would you make it the most confusing name ever? So there is a reason for that. I'm glad you asked. So uh, there is no record of a Charles Wright Congelier or a Lida Congelier, and there's no record of either people by those name at any point living in Pittsburgh. Um, there's also no record of a murder ever happening in this house. There is no crime. And also, like, if it's a socialite who murdered her husband and like beheaded his mistress, that would have made like the front page of the news. So like you'd think so unless they have like some other really wild shit going on where they're like, that was too tame to talk about. I don't know. It's Pittsburgh. Hey. So they've got, uh, there's like no news reports of this, no crime reports of this. Um, the house was also described as a mansion because he was a very rich socialite, but the house was like kind of, a middle-class house in a neighborhood where there weren't a lot of rich people. Um, so it doesn't really make sense geographically that it, that would have ever been a mansion to begin with. I see. Um, and also the house that stood there for a long time. So just spoiling this for everyone, this, the spot is no longer a house. It's actually like part of like a highway or something. But when the house stood there, it was never a mansion. It was kind of a smaller house. And it wasn't built until the 1880s, and the story goes that they built it in the 1860s. Oh, damn. Also at the time, the address was different. It, was never, it wasn't 1129 Ridge Avenue until the early 1900s. It was actually 104 Oak Street or something like that, or 140 Ridge Avenue, 140 Ridge. So a lot of information is wrong there. Um, also the only uh, death around this time that had ever happened in the house was in the 1890s, which was 30 years later when a, a tenant was living there. Um, oh. 
So it was never actually owned by the Congelier family. So you were asking how come they use such a complicated name. So the Congeliers actually do exist. And the argument could be made that it's called the Congelier House now because one of the most recent families that lived there were the Congeliers and it just kind of oh. got known as that. So they were like, we didn't ask to get sucked into this ridiculous story. Yeah, it's like it's like if my like you living in the house that you're in that's like crazy haunted, but now it's called the Schieffer house. And it's like, oh, fuck. I actually am really on board with that. I would actually prefer that we start doing that now. Okay, so maybe the Congeliers felt the same. <laughs> actually, wait a minute. Maybe they embraced it. Yeah. They were like, you're damn right the Congelier house was haunted. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, it was actually their original name. The family was not called the Congeliers. They were originally called the Canceliers, but it's... Oh. um. They're Italian. They're from Sicily. And their name kept getting misspelled just in general, but also it was being published wrong in newspapers and things like that. So they ended up changing it to Congelier when they moved here. It'll just be easier to like fuck up our own name. It'll be easier to have an equally complicated name. Yeah. So um, anyway, so they ended up changing it. So they were originally the Canceliers and they did move into the house in the 1920s. But. so they, by that point, they were known as the Congeliers, and all this lore had already happened around the house. So that's probably how it got the name Congelier House. Um, it. it was built um, in 1886 by John Jacob Lawrence. So a lot of people say, oh, well, no, the, the Congeliers built this house. No, it was John Jacob Lawrence in the 1880s. Um, and a lot of people can't actually find records of even the husband of the Cancelier family owning this house in the 20s, but it was because he was actually part of organized crime. And so he left the house in his wife's name, um, which was something that they did pretty regularly, I guess, to avoid the property being seized by law enforcement. Sure. So um, so people also argue, well, the Cancelliers aren't a real family either because – their names aren't on any records, but his wife is, if you look for it. I see. Okay. So that was a lot of debunking. Basically, that story just did not ever fucking happen. Boo. The second part to this is that in 1892, so this was, um, realistically, this was, I guess, eight, no, six years after the house had actually been built in, in the real world. Um, so the house is six years old. And in 1892, the house was turned into apartments um, for nearby railroad workers. And that being said, even though the story I just told wasn't accurate, um, people do still swear that they're hearing some weird shit and experiencing some creepy stuff in this house. And so it could have been, you know, the the stories that were already being passed on at that time, or maybe there really was something going on there. Um, but the railroad workers say that they would hear blood curdling screams. They would oh. see a, an apparition of a woman walking through the halls and crying in empty rooms. Um, they also saw black shadows. They would hear growling from the walls. They would get pushed. They would see weird orbs and lights and they would smell really gross smells. Um, apparently others have also heard a woman rocking in a chair and humming lullabies, which sounds oh, like goodbye. Sounds like what uh, Lida Congelier was doing. So that to kind of... To the head. <laughs> to the head. So it sounds kind of like that story at least already existed by this point. And it was only like like 1892. So That's so weird. Yeah. So that story is arguably the oldest. And people okay. are still like seeing the aftershock of that, I guess, of hearing a woman humming. Um, 
So after it was just so scary um, for them to be for them to be living there, they all just moved out. They were like, we would rather just not live here or work as a railroad worker. So they ended oh up um, abandoning the house. And then two years later in 1901, um, Dr. Adolf Brunrichter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R, Richter, Richter? Yeah, Richter. Richter, okay. Sounds German, so I'm Sorry, just trusting so you. Sometimes M looks at the monitor, and so I think they're looking at someone else, but <laughs> apparently it's my face on the monitor. So I just like stare back, like waiting for whoever M's talking. I want to. the biggest part of your wisdom. I'm just like, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but so it sounds German. So Brun Richter. It, well, so does Adolf. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Okay, <laughs> I didn't want to assume anything, but yeah, that sounds about right to me. No, you're in the right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, 1901. So Dr. Adolf Brun Richter, he ended up moving in after the house had been um, abandoned for two years by the railroad workers. So he apparently, they knew right away when he bought this house, he just seemed off to people. Um, oh, boy. He, he was kind of a weirdo. Um, he kept himself. He stayed in the house. He didn't socialize with people. And then one day the... Uh, the neighbors called the police because they saw this massive um, red flash from inside the house. And then everyone's like furniture shook, windows shattered. You could hear screaming in there. So it was some sort of explosion happened inside the house. So they apparently it smelled like ozone, sidewalks cracked, and furniture in other people's houses shook. So people thought there was some oh sort God. of earthquake. And that was just like ground zero. Um and so uh, the police and the fire department ended up going to find him in this house, and they never found him, but they did find a decomposing woman's body on the bed. Um, Sorry. Her head was what? also missing. No. Um, so don't worry. They found it very quickly in another room. Um, and apparently there were four to five other women's bodies that they found either there's some stories saying that the bodies were buried under the floor and they had to find them that way or that there were graves already made for them near the house or that the bodies were just like in another fucking room. But um, basically they found several beheaded women in this house. Nah, don't love that. And after looking a little further, they found out that the electrical explosion that happened might have been one of his... Um, experiments because they found out that he was experimenting he was trying to prolong life by beheading people and then trying to mm -hmm. sustain them and keep them alive so in one of his accidents i guess the the house exploded and he took off and they never found him tell me this is one of your fake ones so this is one of the fake ones <clears throat> oh thank god so this is a big story though of like you know how easy would it be if someone new moved to Pittsburgh and was like, oh, you know, they found like five beheaded like bodies in there after another woman was beheaded in there. So I think that also could have been where the first story was inspired because maybe this story, oh. one of one of the stories probably inspired the other because like why else would there be two beheaded women stories? Yeah, they're very connected. <laughs> so it, this one could be like the new – it like – updated revamped version of the Conjolier story. What year was this second one? This one was 1901. So this was supposedly okay. only like 40 years later. Okay. 
Um, but six beheaded women in 40 years in the same house is a lot of beheaded women. Statistically, I think that's pretty high. That's pretty high. I've only had like three at my place. So, um, Ugh, lucky. So apparently there is an additional story. There's like a caveat that's still fake. Um, that apparently police later ended up finding Adolf and he was like homeless and they arrested him. They arrested him for, um, drunk in public. And, um, he ended up admitting everything to them. And he was like, Oh yeah, I'm the guy that used to live there. I, that's how they got this whole story of, I was trying to prolong life. And, um, and then they were like, we don't have enough evidence. And they only put him in jail for like a year. And then they, no one ever heard of him again. And we know that the, we also know that that's fake because there's no record of this man existing ever. So there's no arrest. Oh, so not even the homeless guy. Yeah, there's no arrest report of that happening later on in life anyway. Um, what? But so anyway, there n- there was never the house was never purchased by an Adolf Braun Richter. Um, there's no record of that man existing at all. There's no papers that um, apparently when he was found in the 1920s and he was like, I'm Adolf, this happened. They wrote an, a newspaper article about it called the Pittsburgh spook man. Um, but that news article has never been found. So that's hard to believe too. There's no mention of the explosion or beheaded women in any of the news reports. Again, that would have been frontline, uh, frontline sure. paper, um, frontline front page i'm so stupid <laughs> i went right with it i heard front it and it like felt f- right it felt right <laughs> frontline is the flea and tick medication <laughs> oh right yes that sounds right that sounds more right um definitely not you're not going to find that story on the back of some flea medication i mean you might these days you never know that would be a fun anyway okay sorry i was about to get into branding um there's also no record <laughs> There's no record of um, anyone named Adolf living on Ridge Avenue. So people thought maybe he changed his last name, but that's not the case. And there's, again, no arrest report of Bron Richter's arrest in New York in the 20s. So all of that is fake. Um, The third part is kind of a shorter story, which is that the house then became abandoned and gained even more of a reputation for being so wildly haunted um, I guess a lot of people, this was during the 1920s, so this was during the spiritualist movement. A lot of people and psychics and mediums were all interested in visiting the house, so it kind of just built up its notoriety. Um, actually, Thomas Edison in 1920 is said to have visited the house, and he felt some really weird stuff, and nobody knows much more detail than that except for whatever he did experience inspired him to create his spirit phone, which was one of his, like, failed inventions that he never got to finish but he did it it is known that he tried to make um equipment that helped you connect or communicate with the dead so the running rumor is that this house is what inspired his interest in that so i see and uh there's one medium i don't know if she was a regular medium that visited or if she owned the house for a little bit because it was abandoned at times and then in the times where it was occupied, it was trading hands a lot. Um, but Julia Murray either visited a lot or lived there at one point. And uh, she said that she felt um, spirits around her that were powerful enough to throw objects by themselves. And they had the potential to kill. And they also had the potential to travel outside of the house so they would follow you. Uh-oh. Casual. Um, and also, uh, apparently Thomas Edison... Uh, reportedly worked on this spirit phone until he died, but 
no one's ever really seen a prototype of it or it's not really well known. Um, and the story to this is that all of that could be true, but there's very little evidence of a Julia Murray even existing. And there's no record of Edison visiting this house, which again, if like a famous inventor was coming to the town, you yeah. would have seen it in the paper. So yeah, a lot of this probably. is, de- a lot of this is dependent on the fact that like there were really shitty journalists at that time or uh, this just didn't happen. So like, damn, it's one of those two things where like someone did not know like how to write a story or the story just never existed. So <laughs> the fourth section of this, the fourth of five is that in 1925, after it had been abandoned for a little bit, um, nearby was a gas company called the Equitable Gas Company, the EGC. And it was only a few blocks away. And they were in the middle of building this massive storage complex for natural gas. Um, and to cut costs, originally there were American workers there. They relieved all of them to then hire on um, Italian immigrants. And uh, apparently they then reuse this house as apartments again. So just like how the railroad workers were living there, uh, were boarding there, these Italian immigrants were living there while they were working at the gas company. And um, again, the workers immediately felt some really weird stuff, but they it was explained away by um, the landlord and their boss that um, it was just the American workers who had gotten fired. They were pissed off, so they were pranking the new employees who were going to have to live there so that they would oh. quit. It's a really weird stretch, but yeah, it seems like they had a lot of energy and time on their hands <laughs> right. to be pulling that off, but okay. Basically it was like, Oh no, you're being pranked by people who got fired before you, but n- who never lived here. So, um, Oh yeah, true. <laughs> it makes no sense. Um, but it was their way of explaining it away. <laughs> and then one day, Basically, they ignored it as long as they could, all these footsteps and screams and shadows. They ignored it as long as they could until one day there was like a dozen of them all sitting at a table together and two of them are brothers and one of them got up to like clear the dishes for everyone and went into the kitchen and you could hear him talking to you like from the kitchen. They were having kind of a back and forth with them and then they realized at one point that he never came back into the room. So his brother gets up to go into the kitchen and check on him and all of a sudden you hear the brother screaming and Uh so everyone else in the dining room runs over to see what's happened and the basement door, which is right next to the kitchen, the basement door is open and neither of the brothers are there anymore. And they go downstairs and they see that one of them has hanged himself from the ceiling beam and the other one has a huge wooden plank through his chest and out the other (gasps) side within minutes of having just talked to both of them. Oh, Lord. And um, basically, then the the group of men obviously freaked out, but they couldn't even get up the stairs because they felt unseen forces shoving them around. They felt cold breeze. They heard footsteps and laughter, and they saw the door slam in the basement um, by itself. Oh, no. And then they finally got upstairs. They called the police, and the police considered it both deaths accidental because they think that there was a... um, I guess one of the the steps down to the basement, they must have had something where they brother number one tripped on it and then his neck got caught in wiring on the way down, uh, falling down the stairs. The second brother probably saw his brother down there, also tripped on the same thing, and he just landed on a loose piece of lumber that went through him. Oh, my God. So they think it was accidental, um, but... 
basically, that story also doesn't really seem to hold any real weight. Um, apparently, in the 1920s, the EGC did lay off American workers and replace them with Italian immigrants, but there's no record of any accidental deaths at that location while the immigrants were staying there. So, okay. which again, like a death that wild and at this point a notoriously haunted house would have been in the news. Also, they probably would have looked into murder if that were if they stumbled right. upon the scene and they were like, oh, this was an accident. It was, <laughs> like, it was an accident that five minutes ago you were talking to both of them and now they've both had incredibly awful deaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's that doesn't seem to hold any um, real truth either. Um, just because like someone would have had proof of that or there would be some record of it. Right. Um, two years later, the same company, the EGC, there were um, 16. And remember, this was only like a couple blocks away. This is why the, the workers were staying there. Um, but 16 of the workers at the EGC were on the roof of the company because apparently they were fixing a gas leak. I remember this is a natural gas storage complex. So if there's a gas leak in this massive Uh building in town, it's a big problem. Um, So unfortunately they didn't fix it. And not only that tank, but two other tanks nearby all exploded um, throughout (sighs) the town. Um, All 16 of those men were like hurled off the roof of the building. Um. And then there were windows were blowing out. Buildings were shaking from like 20 miles away, apparently. Um, Trains had been knocked over. Like it was so heavy. Trains got knocked over. Buildings and homes were destroyed and people were buried under the rubble, even those who were trying to rescue everybody. Um, Neighborhoods were flooded from broken main lines and there were hundreds left homeless. At least 24 to 28 people were killed and over 600 people were injured. Um, Sadly, I don't know how exaggerated that is, but for the most part, that is all true. That story is all fucking true. So, like, into the fact that these were all, all these deaths were not true. Oh, mm, boy. There are, there are news clippings saying, like, 24 dead, and, or 24 dead, 500 injured, oh. 28 dead, 600 injured. So That's so sad. Unfortunately, that's true. Um, but the lore about that story still surrounds 1129 Ridge Avenue. Because it was only a couple blocks away. And the story goes that all of the homes in the neighborhood surrounding this house were totally fine, except for the fact that, like, maybe there was a little structural damage, but, like, nothing really bad. Um, But that one house specifically, even though it was surrounded by houses that were fine, that house literally fucking disappeared. Like, there was a – all that was left was a massive, like, 100-foot crater – like a crater <gasps> hole, like a hole, like a crater hole, as if the whole house had been dragged down. And a lot of people um, telling the lore say it got dragged down to hell by the devil himself. So well, he didn't do a very good job. He did only a, only like 80 feet down to the ground is how far hell goes, apparently. <laughs> Maybe uh, hell's a lot closer than we think. And that wouldn't <laughs> surprise me, I suppose. Actually, you saying that I feel like I should feel shocked and yet I'm not. Um, right. <laughs> but so basically there was the story goes that after that explosion, um, the house just vanished and uh, the house was intentionally forgotten about because nobody went to rebuild a demonic house after all of the stories over yeah. all the decades. And um, and after that, the house became a highway expansion. They just like paved on top of it because they wanted to ignore it. Wow. Um, the real story is that that house actually never got pulled 
on underground by the devil. I don't know if that shocks you, um, but it only <laughs> a suff- <little> bit. <laughs> it only suffered minor damage. Um, it had like some windows that were broken. Um, and what's wrong with people just like forcing these weird stories onto this house? Can you imagine being that house where like you just are never like it probably never wanted to come back either. It was like leave me alone, right? boys. Like it was like please suck me into the ground. Every ten years, it's like what are people going to say about me next? So. <laughs> Actually, a descendant of the Congelier family. Remember, it was originally the Cancelier family. They changed. Yeah. At this point, they're actually the Congelier family. Um, so one descendant named Robert, he said that the house was actually around for years after that explosion. Um, interestingly enough, during the explosion, so it's kind of a full circle and kind of this weird, like, fucked up poetic ex- like storyline here. So all the stories started with this Congelier house and, like, this all – Nothing but tragedy afterwards. But an actual member from the Congelier family did pass away because of the explosion nearby. Oh, no. She was our age. Her name was Marie in the stories, but apparently she actually was Mary. But in the stories, it's just kind of morphed into Marie. And um, some glass that had exploded from somewhere flew past her and it ended up severing an artery. And so she bled out on the <gasps> way to the hospital. Very tragic. Oh, fuck. That yeah. alone is pretty awful. Um, and since she was – so people think that since she, a congelier, actually did die only a couple blocks away from the house, that is where the congelier story happened or the origin of the congelier lore. Because up until the 20s, maybe there was a family that lived there in the 1800s and there was this lore already of someone being beheaded there, but they just kind of heard the congelier name – and then they were like, okay, let's just add that name to it. Well, I you know, mean, to be honest, like they can't even spell Mary right or Marie right. <laughs> right. And they can't spell chandelier or whatever the hell their name was. So, I mean, <laughs> at this point, like I don't trust them to write any story correctly. But yeah, exactly. So basically because that is one confirmed death with that actual last name. And she was a descendant of the Canceliers who at one point did own the house. It, right, it, like, right, right, right. So I think – um yeah, because her family at one point owned the house in the 20s when it kept being handed off in between people. Um, so I think it was like, okay, well, several generations have lived in this house. And one of them right. did die in this – and they were attached somehow to this allegedly haunted place. Let's just call it the Congelier House. So um, basically it ends with um, people have circulated rumors around the Congeliers for decades and that's how it got the name. And local lore suggests that this explosion is a related story to the house, even though it was a couple blocks away and it was just a gas explosion that had nothing to do with this house because there's that, that small section where a Congelier is involved in both of these stories. It gets attached to the lore of the the haunted house on Ridge Avenue, especially because um, several mediums in the twenties said that, the house was so evil and the spirits could travel away that they could curse other buildings in theory. And that building was so close that maybe its explosion was caused by one of the ghosts at the Congelier house. It was a very, quite a stretch, but yes. Anyway, this is probably the only time I will say this, but I have a hunch that all of the lore around the Congelier house is not correct either way. Um, I wanted to cover it. So that was the story of the Congelier house slash the haunted house on Ridge Avenue slash the house that the devil built or not built. I mean, slash the chandelier house. <laughs> slash um, the chandelier. 
I uh, I love a good urban legend, so that was still fun. Well, there you go. Anyway. And honestly, it was nice to hear that not all of these people were beheaded and murdered, um, just like some of them. So. Yeah, all the people who didn't die were beheaded in stories, and the people who did die actually had an arguably equally tragic death. So Yeah, like really gruesome and awful. Yeah, that's true. At least of like the 10 deaths that we that we heard about. Ugh, at least only one of them was true. I wish zero were. No, at least there weren't. I mean, at least ten. Yeah, like at least nine of them didn't end up coming to fruition. So right. I guess that's one way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one really awful way to look at it, but I can't think of yeah, a good way. Yeah. So anyway, well, thank you, Em. That was I'd never heard of it before, and I I like Pittsburgh, which is a uh, controversial opinion as a Cincinnatian. But um, I we went there for a tour. I know. Remember the time we had a show in Pittsburgh? You remember what you did on stage? I don't think it was smart. Blaze is still not a fan of what I did. I wore a Steelers jersey on stage, and of course, everyone freaked out. Especially uh, a lot of the dudes who were there who later said that their significant other had dragged them there. And we get a lot of drag along sometimes. We and do. they were like, oh, yeah, Steelers. And then I took that off. Uh, not in like a. I took it off, and then there was a Bengals jersey underneath, and that really didn't didn't get anyone fired up. Um, (laughs) and I stood there and I smiled the whole time because I don't understand football. So I was like, I I was just like, I really didn't want to be a part of this. I was like, I think everyone hates you now, Christine. At least you made me look good today. So I remember (laughs) that. I'm everyone's favorite. Uh, all the drag alongs were like, I don't know who that is, but I like that one better. Um, <laughs> that was fun though. And I remember we stayed in this really cool, like, like hipster hotel that was very like industrial. And oh, it, right. I just thought it was so cool. It was like in an old high school and they had like a yes. high school gym. It, it was so cool. Um, oh anyway, yeah. Really Wait, yeah. 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 Wait. Um, and then there, there was that damn marathon going on, and so we had to like walk. Fuck. We had to park. I knew like, I hated the story. Mile. I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I do remember loving it. Why do I hate it though? And then you said that, yeah. Mm-hmm. We parked like a mile away, and then had to walk to the car at like five in the morning. No, what Christine is not saying is that for the people who literally came to town to talk about how, true crime and how you should be like on your toes yeah. at all points, we literally walked through like. This old scary ass park in the middle of the night of, in okay, Pittsburgh. That was my idea. I'm sorry. With all of our expensive shit, by the way, I was like, we are gonna get so fucking robbed. I was like, I don't even know where we are. This could be a safe spot or not, but it's dark. I'm scared. It's the middle of the night, and I hate you, Christine. And when we say expensive shit, I don't, I don't know what Emma's talking about. I except that may, I mean, all you of know, our, all our Gucci uh, accessories we were wearing. Those oh right, this wasn't our um, our current tour. This was just like our laptops. I was. Oh like, <laughs> yes, okay. I was like, what expensive shit? Are, I was like, I don't know. About our new you, tour, but... by the way, comes with some pretty expensive stuff that we carry around. I thought everywhere. you meant like my Steelers jersey. I was like, yeah, no, that was from Amazon. Um, no, 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 no. Anything yeah, Christine no, brought, did, we, please, please just rob her. <laughs> <laughs> just Robert Steelers jersey. Um, no, so we, yeah, there was no, thank God, no giant suitcase of equipment this that time. But we were walking in a, to the hotel and I was like, well, here's a shortcut. And Em was like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, well, it's fine. And it was uphill. I was over it. I was like, I literally. It was literally an abandoned playground at like <laughs> 1130 at night. And you were like, I don't want to do this. If I've ever wanted to commit a murder, it's exactly right now. You were and it's... so mad at me. Oh, my God. Good I was so, anyway, I love so angry. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway. Okay, well, I'm going to come your way, and my story's in Ventura County, California. Hey! So, okay. 
I don't know why I'm Not excited too far about from that. you. I don't know because it's it's like I'm coming right back to you in your leather chair. <sighs> Finally, if only. Okay, go um, ahead. So this is the story of the abduction and murder. Sorry, spoilers of Sherry Daly. Okay. Dun dun dun. Sherry who? So, Daly. Daly. Okay. Like dilly dally. Dilly. You mean the thing I do all the goddamn time? Yes. Got it. Yes. <laughs> got it. Except for that time we were in the playground and you were like, we're not dilly dallying today. This I is not the time for that. <laughs> exactly. Me and exactly. my Gucci belt need to get back to the hotel. <laughs> uh, I was like, our expensive. What are you talking about? <laughs> like I'm used to now. My, my job when we travel now is to carry like all the suitcases full of equipment. And so like, I'm very aware of all the, the stuff that we have. You are. And like the equipment, like we need for every show. So it's like, you see, I don't like, know why me. that became my job, but like Chris, well, I, it's probably because I travel. Because you you took the job. Listen, no one forced it upon you. Okay, that's probably true. But I definitely am the one. You that- were the one who purchased it and was like, I want to take care. And you literally oh. told me I was not good at using it. And so <laughs> it's your job. Okay. We're not going to get into this today, but like, let's stay on Zoom after this recording to chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yes. People are at cast are like, but you have to go home first, Em. I don't want to be part of this. But also, please, actually, please don't rob us. Like now, especially now, like maybe a year ago in Pittsburgh, it would have been okay. But now, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. And the things that we have that are expensive are not things anyone wants. Um, so don't worry about it. Absolutely true. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we are going back to 1996, um, and this is in Ventura County, California, which is pretty close to L.A. Yes. Um, Around 7 a.m., Sherry Daly, who is a 35-year-old mother of two, leaves her and her husband's family home in Ventura County to run some errands. So first, uh, as always, she drops her kids off at school and drives her van over to the local Target to get a Mother's Day gift. Okay. Inside the store, she has a short conversation with a friend who is also actually the head of security there and then shops and makes her purchases and leaves the store. According to the um, closed circuit TV, she leaves the store around 930 and heads into the parking lot. Out there, witnesses later testified that a blonde woman in a tan suit walked up to her, identified herself as a police officer, told Sherry that she was under arrest because they had found drugs in her home. Then Sherry put her wrist behind her back and the blonde detective put her in the back seat of a teal Nissan and they drove away with Sherry in the back seat. What? So this is the opening montage of this story. What a montage. Okay. I know, right? I mean, and then the teal Nissan, it's like you think you can't get any wilder and then At first I was I was confused about the the tan suit and then I was like, I'm sure Marishka Hargate has worn something like that at some point. So I excused that immediately. And oh, then true. you and then you threw the teal Nissan at me and I was like, okay, at that point I would have asked to see a badge. <laughs> like, I would have had some questions, right? Like yeah. Yeah, you had to see if, Hold on. I'll get in the like you're literally already in handcuffs, so you're like I was like, okay, you already you look like Marishka, I get it, but like I'm gonna need some more proof. <laughs> Like, full respect, honestly, but uh, I just need a little more. Okay, I got it. So around 3.30 p.m. that day, so that was early in the morning, like 9.30. Around 3.30 p.m. that day, Sherry's husband, Michael Daly, called the school from his job at Vaughn's supermarket, where he was a manager, to see if his boys had been picked up from school. The school office manager says yes, and Michael responds, really? And then the secretary corrects herself and says, oh, wait, no, sorry, you're right, they haven't been picked up. So 
Michael goes to pick this the boys up at home and then heads home to see if Sherry's there and she is not home yet. So at 4 p.m., Michael calls police and is like, hey, my wife is missing. And they're like, well, you need to wait 72 hours to file a report because Sherry is an adult. She seems psychologically sound. But Michael starts freaking out. He calls friends and family to look for Sherry. And as they're searching, they find Sherry's unlocked van in the Target parking lot where she had been earlier that day. Okay. They find her keys in the ignition. Her driver's license is attached to the keychain, and her purses are in the back seat. Sorry, her purchases are in the back seat. I was like, her purses? Oh, maybe she's walking around with some expensive Gucci going on. Here. I mean, she might be carrying all of our weird laptops and equipment, <laughs> or all of our stage true. equipment for sure. That's true. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, no one even knows. It's all there in the back seat. Um, so all her purchases are in the back seat. And Michael tells the security guard, the target security guard, that Sherry has been, quote, nabbed. Nabbed. Just a weird, yeah. Just is that a like weird. a weird, is that slang for kidnapped? I think so. Like, oh, someone nabbed her. Right? <laughs> sure. I mean, if someone said it, I would understand it. But now that we're isolating the word, I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, it's really weird when you put it around quotes. Yeah, it makes it seem really strange. That's true. So obviously now they have this car and... They call, you know, they inform the police and the police see this abandoned vehicle and are like, "Uh oh, this might actually be a missing person's case. Um, There's no reason why this car would be abandoned with all her stuff in it, including ID. So then they start investigating. So witnesses from the Target parking lot immediately tell investigators, hey, by the way, there was this blonde chick in a tan suit who appeared to be a cop and arrest Sherry this morning. Okay. And another witness is like, there was also a teal Nissan. And that witness was M who was like, that was me being like, off. I was like, that one, that was too colorful to, to not be mentioned. That one, that's a weird <laughs> one. Mariska just waltzed right in. Like it was her goddamn Nissan. Yeah. Mariska does not drive a teal car. We all know that. We all know um, it would be like a, like a, a black Tesla because that's what she's worth. It would be. And it's because she wants to save the planet and doesn't want to, you know, use gasoline. I that's exactly you. it. That's exactly it. Um, so another witness is like, yeah, so here's this teal Nissan and it had rental plates on it. Like, uh, like it was from a rental hmm. place. Um, police are like, okay, so all these witnesses literally broad daylight saw Sherry get arrested by this woman. So they're like, okay, let's call all the local law enforcement agencies, um, to see who arrested her. Big shock. There is no report of Sherry being arrested by anyone in town. Oh boy. And so this seems to be a missing, not a missing person's case anymore, but an abduction. A nabbing. And she, a nab, <laughs> yes, yes, she was nabbed. Exactly. So when investigators look into, so first, obviously, husband is always the first one they look at, um, not always, but mostly. And so when investigators like look into their marriage, um, they notice a few red flags pretty much right off the bat. Uh-oh. So I'm going to tell you about these two real quick. So Sherry Daly, Michael Daly. So the way that um, Sherry's grandmother, Clarice, 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 I don't know. Clarice. It's spelled C-L-A-R-I-S. So I guess it's Clarice. Oh. Okay. Right. It's kind of weird. But anyway, you Clarice, threw me for a second. It. I felt smarter than you. And then I was like, oh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I just I just wanted to put the spelling out just so anyone could, you know, tell me what it's. Sure. But I think you're probably right. You're probably right. So Clarice told the L.A. Times of Sherry and Michael, 
Quote, she never looked at another boy after she met Mike. He was the one person in her life, her one and only love. Oh, so sweet. So, uh, so sweet. So Sherry and Michael, they grew up together in Ventura County and actually began dating in high school um, when Sherry was a junior and Michael was a senior. They were both popular, but Michael was more like of the outgoing and charming type. And Sherry was more into like, I don't know, outdoor or outdoorsy activities like uh, 4-H club and something called Pioneer Girls. <laughs> hey, yo. Wait a minute. Is that our band name? Hang on Hold a second. Hold on, everybody. Girls with a Z, obviously. I'm loving obviously. it. Obviously. Pie is a pie icon, just like like a like an apple pie. <laughs> and then Onier. Yeah. Our first album is called Nabbed. <laughs> if you want to add a little bit of like... Guest featuring uh, Mariska Hargitay. Yeah. <laughs> we want it to be like a tiny bit badass. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she was more like that kind of gal. Um, the couple married after high school in 1982, and they both worked at Vaughn's Supermarket in Oxnard, California. Mm. And in 88, Sherry gave birth to, their birth to their first son, whose name was Devin. And at this point, she left Vaughn's to open a home daycare center with a friend named Debbie. So in 1990, which is two years later, Sherry and Michael have another child, uh, a son named Max. And around this time, perhaps earlier, Michael begins cheating on Sherry regularly, Mm. uh, sometimes with sex workers, sometimes uh, not. He often used cocaine despite the family living paycheck to paycheck. So kind of taking money away from the family and what they needed and using it to buy drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, And the weird, I mean, to me, a little bit weird part is that friends and family said that michael's infidelities and like his wild side were he did not even try to keep them discreet at all oh he was just just, like just open about it huh okay yeah so he starts seeing this woman named sally low pretty frequently and meanwhile sherry is like trying her best it's just so sad she's trying her best to like be a doting wife and mother like just trying to like you know be good to the kids and make make it work get by Exactly. Make it work and make sure the kids are like happy and healthy. Um, Basically, her whole life is focused on family. Meanwhile, Michael, despite his like indiscretions, is promoted to manager Ivan's. And uh, I guess now he now that he's hit the big leagues, he's um, becoming an even worse person at home. Um, Sally and Michael. uh, So Sally's the, the girlfriend. Okay. Sally and Michael broke up in 1993. And uh in that that same year in december a woman named diana hahn who's 32 okay. applies for a job at vons and michael the manager hires her now diana is a former model uh who had some early success in print work and her career never really took off uh so she kind of she worked at uh the vons but also supplemented her uh work with modeling gigs like side jobs gotcha sort of. gotcha and Michael and Diana immediately bonded over their shared heritage because both uh, were multiracial with Japanese mothers. And that was something they were oh. like, very proud of. Okay. And so um, that was like a, a huge part of why they became fast friends and then more than friends. Uh, fast friends um, <laughs> and then fast friends with benefits. And then, yes, I see. Okay. And then just spiraling into chaos. Exactly. So in January 1994, so literally a month later, uh, Michael and Diana began to have an affair. And according to friends and coworkers, again, they were not discreet whatsoever. And so Michael and Sherry's marriage is just like total chaos. Um, Michael calls regularly calls Sherry fat, ugly, and boring. Oh, my God. What and is his deal? 
like Ew. so Yuck. wild like i don't even know at this point what are you doing like you're ugh, just leave just i don't me. understand i just leave like not her he like does. him like oh is he they break up well you'll see okay <laughs> i just don't understand <laughs> sort of. if you're like if you hate someone that much and you're openly cheating on them why don't you just break up because you need the money you need the money for drugs i don't know i don't know what the details were it just on the surface makes no sense I don't want to speak for anyone, but I know I have read a lot of times where someone will stay because they still want that like family life, but they also want this like side life. You know what I mean? Like they want both and it doesn't mean it's going to work or that you should have both. But I think sometimes people like that life of like sneaking around and like having affairs, but then also having a wife who cooks for you and a wife who, uh, you know, pays the bills and a wife who takes care of your kids. I think it's just like that dual lifestyle that some assholes really want i guess i not for me but okay, <laughs> okay. oh really um yeah what a surprise <laughs> not uh, really my <laughs> cup of tea if we're being wildly honest. i would think probably not yeah so sherry at this point is like desperate to keep the family together so she starts losing weight um she's sewing michael like shirts and making him clothes like mm. she's just trying to like keep him around um and keep him interested in her and the family it's just heartbreaking uh, meanwhile, Michael is just like, fuck you, and continues his affair with Diana. Um, and Di- he and Diana both have this like party lifestyle. They do drugs, they drink all the time, and they have a mutual interest in the occult, which I'm like, don't ruin the occult. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it's like, I really Come liked on, having, can't... I liked having like no relatability to them. <laughs> and now it's yes, like, Aww. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing is sacred anymore. I know. Um, so one of Michael's friends said that the couple, oh my God, they would suck each other's blood. Excuse me? Um, okay. Well. Yeah. Not. I guess this is a different. All of a sudden we no longer relate anymore. So yeah, we're exactly. good again. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I think it's a different kind of a cult than like our kind of cult. You and I um, do not suck each other's blood. So I think we're okay. I know this has been a rumor going around a while, but it's not true. Whatever you see in the tabloids. Whatever's going on on uh, Reddit, we are not drinking each other's blood. I, we've asked, we've we've dabbled, we've talked about it, but the answer's a firm no, we've decided. Yeah, we'd be lying if we said we haven't, mm, no, but it hasn't <laughs> happened, I promise. We've at least considered it right now, but the answer's still no. <laughs> so. so they legitimately did this, um, and he also told his friends that he was on the dark side, which I'm like, if you tell someone you're on the dark side, it no longer feels to me that you're actually on the dark side. It seems like you're just trying too hard. It's like when a skater kid's like, I'm a bad boy. And it's like, okay, well, exactly. you immediately just discredited yourself. It's <laughs> like, I'm really cool. Like, that's just not going to work. It's like, if you have self-awareness about how awful you are, you're probably not that awful because you have the self-awareness, you know? Yes. Yes. And it seems like he had no self-awareness. Uh, he really thought he was just like the baddest boy of all time. <laughs> um, they had pagers, obviously. And this also hurt my feelings because I feel like this is our thing or should be our thing is that their code name for each other was 666. <laughs> Listen, you have driven it into everyone's head that our code name for each other is like lemon or something. So <laughs> at least we have something to fall back on. But you're right. At some point, 666 should have been involved in something we did. We could do maybe we can drink each I'll other's blood it. and then like like draw draw in each other's blood like six 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 or something like really we could do a squeeze a lemon in there just to Ooh. sweeten it up a little bit you know <laughs> just to zhuzh it up yeah 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 <laughs> Lord alive okay but also the the uh, the drinking blood thing that was one of the episodes of my strange addiction wasn't it 
Oh, was it? I'm pretty oh, sure it was where she like had friends that like allowed her to drink <gasps> their blood. And I was like, that's no. a fucking friend because I I'm not that kind of friend. <laughs> I but, know I've asked a million times. <laughs> but that's I remember there was a while where I was forcing Christine to watch My Strange Addiction with me at all turns. And those were some weird nights we had TLC. And by weird, you mean the best. And like I'm obsessed with <laughs> My Strange Addiction is the show My Strange Addiction. And the <laughs> the blood drinking one, that one I couldn't that one I couldn't do. That was too like, much. Like because that's how we that show is how we met Sugarbush. And that's when I was like, well, this is a great <sighs> series. Sugarbush. Pour one out for our homie Sugarbush. Haven't talked about him He's in a while. He's still alive, right? Like we're not saying RIP. I here. never want to find out. He'll always oh, okay, good. have I eternal was like, life. What are you to trying me. to tell me? Okay. Whew. Just pour one out for, for our for the spirit. For the uh undying spirit of sugar bush oh for god's sake now you're scaring everyone okay <laughs> okay 666 anyway uh michael also had other sexual dalliances uh that he, that diana and sherry were unaware of so uh he also at this point moved on from powder cocaine and began to smoke crack cocaine great so he's just escalating left and right um at one point, Sherry actually confronted Diana in the Va- Vaughn's parking lot, um, and they had a screaming match. I don't blame her. I probably would have, I don't I, know. No, I don't blame her either. Punched her head. <laughs> yeah. Punched her head? I have no head. idea what I would have done. <laughs> um, in the summer of 1995, Michael tells Sherry that he decides he, he decided he needed to be alone to figure out what he needs, so he was going to move out. So he moved out and moved directly in with Diana. Okay. And... <laughs> so way to really spread his time. wings yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly uh diana at this point is like oh my gosh she's moving in with me i think we're gonna have a family together and she actually has this like gives me like the worst kind of goose cam she had like professional family photos taken you know like at the mall with michael and sherry's kids so like uh-huh. he had them over and she like took them all to the mall to do like family portraits oh. it's just so bonkers um, it's literally the so, that's literally the Michael Scott move of Skeezin's yes! Skeezin's greetings. It's like too <laughs> it's like too soon, but also like it's gonna always be too soon for this behavior. Right. Um, right. It's like never not soon enough. Uh so they have these photos, and the meanwhile, Sherry is like trying to get Michael back. So some of the things she does, she picks up his car from Diana's house and washes and waxes it for him and then like brings it back. Okay. Um sherry also loses 50 pounds uh she changes her hair color and she starts to dress quote-unquote sexier it's just really sad okay um and then after six months michael realizes he cannot afford to support both his girlfriend and his wife and sons so he moves back home with sherry which is what she was you know wanting him to do anyway and he says okay listen i'm gonna prom i'm promising right now to end my affair with diana uh-huh. You're great. Okay, yeah. Before. For those of you who need to wonder, it is cheaper to only be committed to one person legally at a time. <laughs> so <laughs> in case you're wondering. In case you're wondering, maybe it's just cheaper to not have a girlfriend when you've got a wife at home. So And what if one of them's named six six six, like maybe that's the one who needs to go for now. If there's um, one that wants to drink your blood and there's one that doesn't, maybe go with the one who doesn't want to drink your blood. Em and I should write a re- well, just M. M should write a relationship book. I'm pretty sure I'm advice. I'm the love guru. I'm I've been told <laughs> so. Oh boy. <clears throat> um, okay, so 
Obviously, he promises to end this affair with Diana. doesn't even stop it for a second. He continues seeing Diana along with several other women, some of whom are sex workers, some of whom are not. And he just completely flaunts his relationship with Diana in front of Sherry. Uh, to give you an example, Diana gave Michael a pillowcase with her own face screen printed on it. Fuck off. And he put it on a pillow in the bed he and Sherry slept in. Oh, my God. Like... Literally, she was sleeping in the bed with the girlfriend's face on a pillow. That is just noodles all the way to the top. There's nothing else. <laughs> just the fucking bananas. It's so bonkers. I can't. I can't. Um, so Sherry, again, confronts Diana at Vaughn's and screams at her to stop sleeping with her husband and stop, I guess, giving him pillowcases with her face on it. Please stop putting your faces on things I have to sleep next to. <laughs> instead in march of 1996 diana and michael take a mexican vacation together so they literally did the opposite okay um, when they return diane sorry what no i'm just still in shock that's all continue uh when they return diana tells a coworker at vons that she intends to make a human sacrifice for her boyfriend's birthday so okay let's replay that, that what did out there. what did you say what's what? that let's hear that one more time replay instant replay okay <clears throat> when they return from mexico their romantic mexican getaway diana tells a co-worker at vons that she intends to make a human sacrifice sacrifice for her boyfriend's birthday okay well now can you imagine being the co-worker and being like how is mexico <laughs> she's like, oh. i didn't even think about that oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. Truly. It's like the poor forgotten character in this story who's like, what about me? <laughs> I mean, truly, you came back from your honeymoon f in Belize and I should have been like, any human sacrifices you're thinking about <laughs> doing or you just love them that much? And, oh like, my God. What did, so what did, I mean, do we get to hear more about what the coworker thought after that? Like, did she, that's nothing. That's it something you text, that's something you text your neighbors about to come over and like, we have like margarita gossip time. Like, correct. The mundo. Um, correct. <sighs> I mean, I, I literally, until this very moment, it didn't really occur to me where I was like, well, what about this coworker though? Like that blows. That's the moment you text your friends, bitch, and everyone knows exactly <laughs> what that means. <laughs> oh. You you text your friends 666 and they're like, I know what that means. <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, she says this and her and this is in March and Michael's birthday, to be clear, is on May 21st because, of course, he has to be a fucking Gemini. Um, yep. We're not surprised. Trust me. I wish I was. So. I wish I was too. Uh, so throughout the month of April uh, 1996, Diana meets Michael for his breaks around 4 a.m. And they kept going off alone together, according to coworkers. And then at the end of April, beginning of May, Sherry gives Sherry, the wife, gives Michael an ultimatum. She says, you have to go to rehab for the drug use or I will file for divorce. So despite Michael's um, initial help. So back to the, you know, the tan suit and the, the teal. uh mm -hmm. Oh, right. All of this was a fucking prequel. Okay. Right. Right. This is literally a side as like a, you wonder how I got here. Sharp left turn and then right back into the sharp right turn. <laughs> Record scratch. And now it's back. Yep. It literally, you um, could like add that. Uh, I imagine that woman at the desk hearing her coworker be like, I'm going to do a human sacrifice for my husband. I imagine the record scratch there of like, you're probably wondering how I got myself into yes. this situation. 
This should literally be the story. Okay, TM, TM, TM. We should write the story from the perspective of the coworker <laughs> who, at Vaughn's who's literally watching like the fights in the parking lot. Like the finally they're gone in Mexico for a week and she's like, oh, things are back to normal. And then suddenly <laughs> she shows up and it's like, uh oh. We should do it from the perspective of the teal Nissan of just like watching like <laughs> weird. Like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> oh, yeah, the teal Nissan. So you remember. Anyway, so despite Michael's initial like, sadness and concern uh with the search and his calls to the media but which by the way they have clips of that i watched a forensic files episode about this and they have clips of him like on camera holding a photo of her in front of their house like as the camera pans and he's looking off into the distance like the cheesiest 90s shot and i'm like fuck you so he calls the media and he's like my wife she's so she's the she he calls her the backbone of our family and i'm like no shit goodbye Um, goodbye so he suddenly stops assisting the search what a shock uh and within five days of sherry's disappearance uh michael diana and michael's and sherry's sons go shopping for a jet ski great (sighs) so he also files for separation from sherry while she's missing and makes inquiries into her retirement pension and her fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy oh really does he which yeah right oh really which again like life insurance alone is i don't think necessarily always a red flag but if it's literally in combination with and now i want to buy a jet ski with my new girlfriend uh let's look into it whose blood i'm drinking yeah i'm gonna start (laughs) i'm gonna be a i'm gonna be aware let's just leave it at that (laughs) does this does this jet ski uh, allow for two passengers if we have some activities? Some, uh, <laughs> what color What color red activities? are these jet skis in? Can it match my my behaviors? We don't want to st- stain the leather, you know. That's exactly it. Um, so witnesses and security footage place Michaels at Vaughn's working at the time of the abduction. So he does have like a solid alibi. And investigators check into – so they start going into all the local car rental companies and um, – Finally, they stumble upon a budget car rental. And uh, so they ask, so has, they were going around to all these car rental places and they ask, hey, has anyone named Michael Daly rented a car here? And they're like, no. So then they ask, has anyone named uh, Diana Hahn? And they look through and they're like, oh, yes. And they're like, well, that was easy. Okay. <laughs> she rented a teal Nissan. Um, Bingo. So... <laughs> Bingo, bango. So they uh, find this teal Nissan. Sorry, I got myself all worked up, but now I lost where I, my place. Listen, I can't imagine you not getting worked up after this story. <laughs> It'd be weird if you're like, don't worry, I'm still cool and calm and collected. They find this car and they just take a little peek inside and uh, oh boy, is it covered <laughs> in blood. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I, I know this is like obviously a sad story, but that's probably my favorite sentence you've ever said. They <laughs> like, took a little oh peek and I don't even remember what you just said, but it was like, and boy, did they find lots of blood. <laughs> just like, don't even know. It's like not a shock. It's not a surprise. There's like no other way to say it. Um, Got it. Now, interestingly, okay, so they find this car. They see that there's blood in it. The car was rented the day before the abduction on May 5th and returned the day after on May, or the day after the abduction on May 7th. And the uh, car was rented by Diana and paid for with a check written in green pen. Now, okay. Um, 
crime scene. So the so they ask the clerk, like, okay, you said it was Diana Hahn. Do you recognize this woman? And they hold up this picture of of Diana, and it's uh, her normal appearance, which she has long dark hair. And the person at the budget rental is like, no, I don't recognize that person. I don't think I saw them. So Ooh. just another weird little twist. Uh, okay. Apparently, when they used luminol to check the back seat, uh, they described the interior as lighting up like a Christmas tree. So that's fun. Oh, boy. And then they find a few uh, strands of blonde hair. Hmm. And they're like, okay. So they do a little uh, peekaroonie with a microscope. Um, and they realize that this is not hair. This is actually, it has these like arrow shapes in it. Um, in other words, it's synthetic and it is probably from a wig. A wig. Okay. Yes, you called it. I okay. was too, I was getting too flowery with my language. So you were like, just Look, say you, it. You gave me time to figure it out. That's, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know originally, but now I feel way smart. Okay. Yes, exactly. Then. They go to Diana's house because they're like, uh, hello, what's going on here? And she answers the door, first of all, in like a like a lingerie set, um, clearly having just gotten out of bed. And then behind her is literally Michael standing there in his underwear. And this is like days after his wife has disappeared and he's been on the news going like, I miss her. I need her. Right. Oof. Okay. So, so they're like, he's having please. he's having a grand old time. Yes, he's having right. He's having a blast. He's on his jet ski. You know, things are good for him. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, she's asked to come down to the station to answer some questions, obviously. And uh, Diana tells detectives that on the day of the murder, she actually went on a really long bike ride. And they're like, all by herself, <laughs> not a witness in sight. My my just, hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> just wanted to be around me and my blonde wig. That's all. <laughs> So then they're like, well, do you have proof? And she's like, of course. And then she shows them some scratches on her forehead. And they're like, sorry, what? And she's like, this is because I fell off my bike. (laughs) What? Also, look how pretty my nail polish is. I painted it the day I went bike riding. What? (laughs) Okay. It's nothing. It's nothing. (laughs) She's like, oh, these scratches on my forehead, those are from falling off my bike. That's proof I went biking. And they were like, that's really not how this works. Do you know what proof is? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no. Um, apparently, she had also been 15 minutes late to work that day. She had arrived at 3.15 instead of 3 p.m. And she uh-huh. also told detectives that she just happened to lose her wallet and checkbook. Uh, and she had reported them missing a couple days after Sherry's abduction. How convenient. So investigators informed Diana that Michael is uh, cheating on her with sex workers, but she does not seem to give a shit. Um. And so they were like, well, that didn't work. So she wasn't phased and they didn't have a body and they didn't have, and they only had circumstantial evidence. So they let her go, but her handwriting is sent in for analysis. Um, So investigators at this point are like learning of all of these women that Michael is sleeping with, um, all of the drugs he's been purchasing and using. Um, Around this time, Michael is starting to give away Sherry's possessions. Just like give them away. Okay. They take okay. uh, blood samples from the teal Nissan, that poor teal Nissan, and they prove uh, that they belong that the blood belongs to Sherry. So they're like, "Well, that's uh, a check mark right there, I suppose." And then in June, on June first of nineteen ninety six, two of the volunteer searchers 
unfortunately do find Sherry's decomposed remains in a wooded area approximately 12 miles from the target where she was abducted 26 days earlier. Okay. So now they have her body, and although it's been somewhat disturbed by animals, uh, medical examiners are able to determine that she was stabbed about a dozen times around the face, neck, and chest with a serrated blade while handcuffed, so unable to fight back. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That okay. just adds a layer to it. Um, they also find like a, p- a shard in her jawbone, and it turns out to be a, bla- a piece of the serrated knife. <gasps> The knife snapped off in her fucking jaw. Yeah, like a, like a shard of it. Good fucking buy. I know. Okay, and then a side blade, like a like a hatchet or an axe, um, was then used to hack at Cherry's head and neck, nearly decapitating her. What is with all uh, these beheaded women in this shit? That's story? Tr- I literally don't know how I didn't like put that together when you were telling your story. What is wrong all with the us? six times I talked about beheaded women, and by the way, let's add a seventh. Oh my gosh! By the way, terrible. And this one has to be true, of course, of all of them. Yikes! I wish I could say this was just an urban legend. Thanks for taking that bullet for me. Yeah, you're so welcome. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway, she's getting her. Literally, she's getting beheaded. Yes. Uh, okay. So she's been nearly decapitated, and then it appears that she was stabbed inside the Nissan, and then also outside the car. And she likely died pretty quickly after being abducted. Um, Investigators had, like, you know how they had had Diana Hahn on file and had her signature. Well, she was like, when they had brought her in, she was like, no, no, no. That form, that was uh, fraudulent. Someone forged my signature. Mm. And so they were like, likely story. But they had to let her go, like I said, and they sent her signature in for analysis. But when they were looking at it, they were like, that is weird because the signature on the rental form is actually different from the one on her driver's license. So they're like, that's actually a little bit strange. So we're going to look into that. And meanwhile, uh, investigators are trying to locate Diana's checkbook uh, that she has, quote unquote, lost, and also subpoena her bank records. And when they find all this stuff, uh, they discover that Diana had used personal checks from her missing checkbooks, checkbooks, excuse me, to purchase the following. A blonde wig at a discount wig shop on May 4th, 1996. Uh, She was identified by the clerk and she used green pen to sign the check. By the way, all the checks were written in green pen. So that just adds to the whole thing. Okay. She had also made uh, some additional strange purchases on the same day as buying the wig, including a tan suit, a hatchet, matches, and lighter fluid from a local department store. Well, if that doesn't... Again, more green ink. Uh... Investigators also discovered that Diana had used cash to purchase a fake police badge. So that would answer your thing of, I need to see a badge. Uh Uh-huh. She thought it through. So she had a fake police badge from a place called Uniforms Etc. Which, wow. Yikes. Okay. In Ventura. And the following day, so she had purchased that. Then she went back the next day and purchased handcuffs. I guess she had forgotten to buy handcuffs the first time. Or maybe she and uh, what's-his-name used them up. And she needed new ones. I don't know. Right. Who's to say? right. Holding <laughs> each other down say? with their with their weird activities. Okay. Yeah. Who knows what their dalliance is? Oh, his last name's Dally. Sorry. I okay. just picked that up at the same time, too. It's like, like a dilly oh. dalliance. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Let's end it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's end it, please, quickly. Okay. So, at the, so they've figured all this out. And then the forensic handwriting expert is like, 
hey, I've analyzed the signature on the budget rental form that Diana claimed was forged. And he found that even though the signature on the form didn't quite match her current signature, it actually matched the way she used to sign her name years earlier. So this is so fascinating. She had attempted to forge her own signature and thought she had done it and sort of had, but she had inadvertently used the same handwriting pattern she had used like decades before. So like as like a teen maybe or something, she wrote her name a certain way. And so she tried to fake it and like subconsciously wrote it the way she used to write it. So that Mm. was really interesting. Um, Okay. Diana used a calling card from a payphone on May 6th and called a dry cleaner. So they talked to the dry cleaner and the dry cleaner was like, oh, yeah, this woman called and asked how to remove blood stains from the backseat of a car. <laughs> Can we just arrest her? <laughs> like, what is- I'm God. having fun finding all these pieces. I don't know about you. But like, wow. can you imagine like there's no like incognito mode on Google at this point? Like you have to literally call the dry cleaner right. and be like, how do I get rid of blood? Like, you have to ask a real person. Wow. Not Jeeves. Not Um, Jeeves. So at this point, a grand jury indicts Diana for murder and kidnapping, but doesn't indict Michael Daly. So Diana is arrested, finally, for the kidnapping and murder of Sherry Daly on August 2nd, 1996. They find, literally in her purse when she's taken into custody, they find the damn green pen that was used to write the checks. The uh, the smoking gun. (laughs) A smoking gun, literally, a green pen. Yeah. And she, not literally, obviously, but you know what I mean. Um, so she, they find that damn pen and they literally have someone analyze it and it's the same ink. So that's okay. like smoking gun, like you said. Yeah. After Diana's arrest, uh, Michael continues to see sex workers and do drugs like nothing has changed or happened. No surprise. And I'm just fat, sad about, thank God, like the grandparents were alive, but like these poor kids are in the middle of this, you know, it's just really awful. Yeah. Yeah. So when they search Diana's house, they find uh, that she is what Forensic Files calls, quote, a master of disguise. I'm really? like, honestly, I don't think she's that much of a master after what we From learned. going to uniforms, et cetera, and getting a <laughs> synthetic weave or a synthetic wig? Literally. They find wigs, outfits. They find photos of her in different getups because she's like a model and does all these side gigs. So she has all these different like outfits and wigs and wow. things like that. Um, investigators began to connect like these phone calls that had been made between Diana and Michael the day of the murder. There were a bunch of them. And then Sally Lowe. So the reason I mentioned her earlier, she was Michael's like former girlfriend, um, that they had dated during early during Sherry and Michael's uh, marriage. Mm -hmm. So she comes forward and she's like, yeah, I just want to speak out and say my part when he and I dated, I remember that he would often fantasize aloud about Sherry's murder. Ew. Okay. That's a bad sign. Um, she says that he wanted Sherry kidnapped and stabbed. Then asked her if she would do it. Right? I'm like, it's horrifying. So he asked her if she would do it. And she's like, she's like, I didn't take him seriously. And then we broke up after that. So that Ew. must just be the shittiest feeling to be like, oh my God, he was serious that whole time. Ugh. Well, and also, yeah, that. And also, like, Diana? Is that her name, Diana? Yeah. She, like, didn't she literally say, like, oh, I want to do a human sacrifice for him? So, like, they were both, like, on the same track. Like, they both went the... I mean, he probably brought that up to her, like, hey, I want her to die. Consider yeah. it a human and was, sacrifice. And she was, like, done. <laughs> she was, like, like, easy. I love you, 666. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> it's disgusting. Yikes. 
So uh, police also noted, obviously, Michael's lack of concern for Sherry. Um, friends and coworkers told police that Michael used to say he'll, that he'll never get a divorce, like basically like she won't do it or they won't ever go through with it. Uh, Tamara Leach, who was described as a petty criminal who had several liaisons with Michael, revealed that he told her, quote, I guess I'm a single parent now before <gasps> Sherry was even found. So like just an insensitive dickhead. Oh, no. Um, of, like at the least and then on november 15 1996 michael was indicted for murder kidnapping conspiracy and special circumstance of financial gain which i hadn't heard before wow and this mofo pleads not guilty mm-hmm. okay well n- well okay okay my favorite line from him is always okay well <laughs> And that's the end of the sentence. Okay, He's well. literally, I don't know what else to say. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Diana, I see everything you're saying in those two words. I'm don't worry. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I speak M. <laughs> okay. So Diana is re-indicted the same day with the added ladder charges. So they were basically like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to indict her on those ones too. So she pleads not guilty. So in the summer of 1997 is when Diana's trial begins before Michael's. The jury is chosen from Santa Barbara County to get out of the area because of tainted, you know, media coverage. The prosecution contends that Diana and Michael came up with the elaborate murder scheme to kill Sherry and avoid a costly divorce in addition to collecting her life insurance. And they call over 125 witnesses to the stand. Wow. Yeah. So the defense argues that though she may have unwittingly purchased some of the items used in the kidnapping, Diana's innocent. And one of the sex workers Michael had been seeing was framing her and that Michael probably helped her to do so. So that's Diana's uh, defense. Got it. On September 26, 97, however, Diana was found guilty on the charges of murder, kidnapping and conspiracy in the death of Sherry Daly. Uh, a month later, on October 27th, Diana was spared execution and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And then the following winter begins Michael's tri- uh, trial, in which the prosecution argued that Michael had convinced Diana, his co-conspirator, to help him plan and carry out the murder of his wife, Sherry Daly, to avoid a divorce and to cash in on her retirement and life insurance policies so that he could maintain his party lifestyle. The Mm -hmm. case against Michael was largely circumstantial and relied mainly on the over 100 witnesses uh, and they're basically to bring up the incriminating comments and his suspicious actions. Um, And the prosecution painted him as a drug-addled, sex-addicted sociopath uh, and they had sex workers and drug dealers on the witness list to add to this whole picture they were painting. And the defense throws Diana Hahn under the bus and contends that she is an obsessed, Satan-worshipping mistress who went rogue and murdered the woman she viewed as her competition, Sherry. So basically both of their defense teams argued that it was the other ones doing. Right. Um, right. So, so like, wow, what a, what a match made in heaven. These two. I, I mean, know. I know. Sorry. Per- <laughs> perfect chaos is what I call that. Perfect chaos. The def- so uh, the defense say that, you know, Diana went rogue. She was, I want to say this instant replay. She is an obsessed Satan worshiping mistress who went rogue and murdered the woman she viewed as her competition. Cherry. I was going to say that I was like, what, what a, what a, a title to like walk out on. Combination what are, of words. <laughs> truly. What a sentence, <laughs> you know? 
So the defense calls many character witnesses and Michael's father offers an alibi, which is demonstrated to be false by the prosecution's witnesses. The defense team also reiterates that there is no evidence that ties him directly to the abduction since he was at work at Vaughn's at the time. However, on April 3rd, 1998, Michael Daly is convicted of murder, kidnapping, conspiracy, and two special circumstances of financial gain, gain excuse me, making him eligible for the death penalty. Ooh, oh. oh boy things are getting heated then on june 9th 1998 michael is instead sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and is ordered to pay ten thousand dollars in restitution to the state and fifteen thousand in restitution to sherry's family so that is the end of their trials i have a couple like lines of uh, uh an epilogue i would suppose i suppose uh the dally children are sent to live with their paternal grandparents Diana and Michael both blamed each other for everything that transpired. And they, anytime a journalist like even came to talk to them at all, they would blame each other um, at any given chance. In one prison interview with Michael that was featured on Forensic Files, a reporter asked him to describe Diana's and Sherry's relationship. And he said, not good. They hated each other. They both wanted me. Okay, yikes and gross. But I, I like how it just started with not good. <laughs> like, not good. Not, literally without even a verb. Just not good. Could be better. Um, good, like not smiling. great. Smiling. Yeah, good, not great. Um, and Sherry's mother in the same episode said, Michael had also said, it's not my fault that two women love me. It's like, yikes. what a sick bastard. That alone makes me hate him, despite all the other things. <laughs> like, truly, <laughs> that, al- that alone is enough. Yeah. That alone, if I heard him say that at a party, I would walk away and be like, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not we're not meant to be. <laughs> You're like, I don't actually think I want to suck your blood after all. But thanks for You asking. know what? That's exactly it. You find someone <laughs> else to suck your blood. So both Diana and Michael appeal their convictions, but by 2001, both are denied. Um, eventually, a wrongful death suit against Diana Hahn awards Devin and Max, so the two sons, $6.4 million, which is way better than the 15000 Michael had to pay. I was going to say. Michael Daly was granted an investigation into clemency by Governor Jerry Brown, but nothing came of it, as far as we know. That was in 2018. Diana Hahn and Michael Daly are currently serving their sentences at Central uh, California Women's Facility in Chowchilla and, respectively, California State Prison in Lancaster. Devin Daly said the son, the oldest son, has spoken publicly in support of his father's innocence, which is very interesting. Who? Um, the son, the Devin. Son? Wow. I know. That must be just so hard. Um, Wow. Max has never spoken publicly nor issued any sort of statement regarding his mother's murder and his father's incarceration for the crime. So that's the story. That is the story of Sherry Daly. Hmm. That's a lot to take in. That's a lot to take in. Um, That sucks. That is awful. Yes. Yes, Um, it does. (sighs) Well... And also their kids are like our age, right? They're like only a couple years older than us. Yes. Yeah. They were born in, I think, 86 and 88. Wow. I know. That's crazy that people, the stories you tell, I know this is like such a duh moment, but like it's wild when you tell stories that are more recent and like people you're talking about like are just like walking around. Like it's whenever they're like super far removed and like a distant true crime it's so different versus like, oh, people who were affected by that are just like our age living life. That's it's crazy. It's really wild. And that's why it makes me really anxious sometimes to cover, obviously cover some of these. But 
I have gotten like messages from people on other cases who were like, oh, my, I was sorority sisters with this person or, you know, right. I knew like Bryceless Pieces family or whatever it might be, which is always like so fascinating to me. Um, and it's always yeah. been very kind and, you know, respectful and supportive, but sometimes they add information that I, you know, never would have found online, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really, it is really crazy. Adds, adds a scary layer. I do have one update. Let me see if I can find it real quick because I did not plan to do this, but you just reminded me. Um, let's see. Um, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it, so I'll have to paraphrase it. But someone did reach out to me and said that they had a friend who is very um, <clears throat> well known in uh, Anonymous <gasps> and said that apparently – this member of anonymous listens to the show <gasps> and listened to the episode and did say that I got a few things wrong, but for the most part, uh, they, they were impressed and they liked it. So oh. not to switch gears totally, but I, before I forgot, what? I wanted, I know. So I'm like kind of scared. I was, <laughs> I was like, I, I wish I could read the message, but like, I was like such a sigh of relief of like, okay, so you're not going to like find my deepest, darkest Holy secrets. I don't even know shit. I have. And, and do something about it. So thank you. I'm glad that I like didn't make enemies out of anonymous. That's like wow. all I've ever wanted. I so hope we meet you at a live show and you won't, you're not going to tell us who you are, but I hope we meet you just so I can like just show imagine. up in a V for Vendetta mask and like, like a guy Fox mask and I'll know exactly who you are. So yeah, no one else will know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> just <laughs> us. That's crazy. I did get some things wrong. I, that was all the information I got. So it wasn't hundred percent accurate, but it was pretty accurate. So yay. Well, that's all we hope for yay. sometimes. So hooray. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you are a member of anonymous, let us know or don't cause you're not really allowed. Um, and continue to be on our side and don't do anything mean to us. Love you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, oh boy. All right. Okay. Shall we? Anyway. And that's why we drink. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.